Welcome. You're now listening to Dirty Feet. Bonjour, oui, vous êtes sur les ondes des pieds sales, a.k.a. Dirty Feet podcast on No More Radio. And hosted by... Joanny Ferrand. J.D. Papillon. Alison Burns. Stay tuned, we're going to move you. Welcome to this week's episode of Dirty Feet. The music that you're listening to this week is provided by Jean-Sébastien Côté, and it's an excerpt from the work Goodbye, choreographed by Mélanie Demers, which is playing this week at Usine C. We'll be speaking with Mélanie Demers of May Day in uh, just a few minutes. But before we get there, we're just going to go through a couple dance tidbits from the week. Uh, again, our partners, bloodyunderrated.net, have some more information up on that site that we've provided, including... My review of Les Gestes by choreographer Isabelle Van Grimm with Van Grimm Car Secret, uh, which is a show that I found a lot to say about which diverged from a lot of what other people had to say about it. So if you're interested in hearing and reading what I had to say, just go read it on bloodyunderrated.net. If you're a fan of our Facebook page, there were these amazing photos with light and odd little boxes on people's spines. That's the show that JD has reviewed, so I'm looking forward to reading that. I also got to write something else this week for bloodyunderrated.net. I went to the Vue sur la Relève uh, season reveal, let's say, where they revealed the programming for the season. The festival has dance, theater, and music. I concentrated, of course, on the dance portion of the festival, and there's quite a bit. So you can check out my uh, my preview to see kind of my perspective on uh, on what to look forward to. That festival happens in April. I went to the Dance Dance season launch last Wednesday, and I was very excited about what I saw for the new program for 2013 and 2014, especially actually some of the pieces that will be presented before Christmas, namely uh, new creations by Marie Chenard, Compagnie Marie Chenard, and by Robert Bandance Group. I'm a huge fan of Robert Bandance. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you probably know this already. Marie Chenard will be presenting two works, uh, Henri Michaud Mouvement and Gymnopédie. And uh, I'm very excited to see what those mm -hmm. two will look like. Uh, also, from uh, more of an international perspective, too, there will be Cloudgate Dance Theatre of Taiwan, which seems to have some beautiful visuals. I've never seen any of their work, but it seems very interesting. And also the Dietrich Group from Toronto, which seems to have an interesting approach to to group choreography. So I'm very excited to see the new Dance Dance season for 2013-2014. Now let's talk about the future. We're doing a ticket giveaway on Facebook. Actually, we're going a little bit off the beaten track for us. It's actually for a play, but the tie-in is that it's a Bikram yoga-inspired play. It's called Love and Light by Lee Fitzjames, and she's an international artist. I believe she's from Australia, but she's uh, done a lot of work in the States and whatnot. She's an actress and a writer, and she created this play. And she's going to be presenting it at Mainline Theatre in Montreal on Friday, March 22nd at 8 p.m. And we have two tickets to offer to our listeners. All you have to do is on Facebook, you have to give us a type of yoga, and then we'll put you into a draw. This can be uh, an actual type of yoga or a type of yoga that you wish existed. Does yoga count as yoga? Totally. Really what it comes down to is throw your name in the hat and we'll, uh, and we'll draw a winner. Okay, something else coming up real quick is the Mile End Poets Festival. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because on the 30th, March 30th in Montreal here, again at Mainline Theatre, that just happened by accident, I swear, there's going to be a, a poetry, music, and dance performance. So they're going to incorporate the three kind of mediums into one night. And it's going to be three different pieces. You're going to have Body Slam. They have musicians and poets and I don't know, scientists and dancers and everybody in there. I think it's dance-centric, but it's it's very much like a free improv st space, and it's very, you never know what you're going to get, but it's usually pretty intense, I would say, and very exciting. 
You're also going to get Womi Myth with Jen Doan and her partner Ted Strauss, music and dance duo. And you're also going to get Stephanie Robert, uh, which I'm actually performing in. And, uh, and that's her, her, her photo taxes project. And uh, with a light and music and poetry and dancing. So that's the 30th at, uh, at Mainline Theater. It's part of the Mile End Poets Festival. The show is at 8.30. It's called Voice Dance Trance. Look good, sound smart. These are the wise words of Melanie de Mers, who is joining us in studio today. <laughs> she's the artistic director, founder, and choreographer of Mayday Dance. Uh, she studied dance in literature and theater in Quebec City, but returned back to her home base here in Montreal and uh, continued her training as a dancer at the wonderful LADMI, now currently the... L'École de Danse Contemporaine. L'École de Danse Contemporaine de Montréal. Oui, exactement. The previous uh, LADMI. She has uh, danced for choreographers uh, such as Daniel Desnoyers, Roger Sina, Paula de Vasconcelos, de Pigeon International, and uh, Jeanette Lorraine with uh, O Vertigo over the years. She founded her company May Day in 2007 and has a repertoire of 15 works, which she has taken to Europe, America, Africa, and Asia. We're, we're talking to her now because she's bringing back one of her pieces, Goodbye, to Uzin Say this week. And uh, we're all very excited to, to see this work. It's a new one for us. We missed it the first time round, um, but we we are familiar with your past work, Melanie. And uh, thank you so much for joining us in studio today. Thank you for inviting me. Can you fill in the blanks a little bit on your own biography? Oh well, yeah, well it's always so weird to hear someone talk about yourself when you're here. <laughs> um, well, I think that when you read the bio, uh, it said that I created 15 works, and it sounds like a whole lot of <laughs> body work. I created along, you know, my career 15 works, but not necessarily since 2007, since I created May Day. Okay. And uh, Goodbye was created uh, last year at FDI in 2012, so it's quite a new work. And other than that, um, what else? I can add that I just worked uh, a lot lately with theater. So I'm, you know, collaborating with the director, theater director, quite a lot. So it's becoming like my new thing <laughs> in what capacity as a choreographer for plays yeah for plays okay. yeah well I, I guess that theater director are like more and more in, interested in using movement and then they hire choreographers but what we discover along the way is that to actually direct actors and dancers is quite different but has similarities. So we work uh, uh, for, for Mummy with Olivier Chouanière, we work quite um, closely to come up with, uh, with this work. So, How do you approach differently the, the movement in theater? Well, it's different because actors don't have the same trigger. So, for example, dancers are really inspired by... Um, a state uh, of being or abstract um, movement but for actors you have to come with the uh, justifications intentions you have to be a little bit more uh, directive in a way to justify why you do the things you do it's really interesting to work with a, a cast that has both actors and dancers and in the case of Mommy, which uh, just finished its run, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, yeah. how did that come about? Was it the first time in a while that you'd done, like, strictly worked on a theater project? or I had worked with uh, Catherine Vidal uh, for Robin Marion Théâtre d'aujourd'hui uh, last year. So it's, you know, like, it's every year I have, like, one or two projects with a, a play. So it's for for Mami, it came really quickly. Uh, Olivier needed like a few choreographies here and there, and then it, we ended up working much more on the movement that we expected at first, because it takes time to work with movement, and, and it's also what we discover. You know, it's not sometimes they hire you for you know five or six rehearsals, and then you discover that you have to double 
or triple the hours that you wanted to put in the in the work because yeah movement as we all know is quite complex it's it's a, it takes another kind of intelligence to master movement I mean, do you ever find it frustrating working with actors because of those triggers that you were mentioning because the language is probably very different sometimes? No, it's not frustrating. It just It's just another kind of creativity that I need to trigger myself. It's also much, uh, much more um, channeled into a place or into um, parameters that are already there. So it's different, therefore interesting. I wanted to ask about your time with uh, Overtigo, of mm-hmm. course, just to go back. Because you spent, uh, it, was it 10 years total yeah. dancing for Overtigo? Well, it was eight years contract. And then, you know, because when you're in a company and then they're touring productions, there are like a few uh, productions that are still touring. So, you know, like my contract was for eight years and then I ended up, you know, touring a few works for two years after. So it's like a decade of work with Overtigo. And what kept you around? So long. Yeah. The contract. (laughs) Well, at first I was a very, very young dancer when I got the job. So it took me a while just to understand what is the job of being a dancer in a company and also being surrounded by amazing dancers. I mean, you know, like Mm -hmm. dancers that you would never think that you could even touch. (laughs) And then here you are actually collaborating and learning from them. So like the first three, four years, I was just like in awe in front of those people. And also it feels like it takes a long time to understand the vocabulary, the world, the universe, uh, the preoccupation of a choreographer. And I also feel that I came in uh, in Overtigo in a time where Jeanette was changing her way of working and her um, her work. So, you know, like I was there to accompany her in this change. It feels mm. to me that, you know, like for two, three years, she was actually... Um, looking for new ways of working and this was really exciting too it led to interesting works or less interesting works but the the process was uh, very important it felt and then after eight or eight years then you feel like you know you've given everything that you that could be given to the company and then you feel like it's the end of your journey with with this artist and i left did you have any um choreographic desires or desires to choreograph uh, while you were at Overtigo? Yeah, actually if I'm being very honest I think that I was a little um, I was always um, very passionate about being a dancer but a little insecure for, you know and I wasn't sure if I was ever going to have a job or anything so really my first impulse when I left school was to create a piece so it was the first thing that I did. I didn't go for auditions or I didn't, you know, like go for technic class or <laughs> anything. I just like created my own project because I thought, you know, because I'm, yeah, I'm a leader, I guess. So I thought, you know, if I lead it, then, then I'm going to be on stage. So I, I started creating my first piece, my first piece the next day I left school. <laughs> so, you know, being a choreographer and a dancer for me was always intertwined, was always together. Then I got the job at OV, and then it became clear that I wanted to be a dancer to understand what it is to be an an, an interprète and um, a performer. So for a couple of years, I left it, you know, on the side. But it was always, you know, there somehow. And I, I created project even when I was with the company. So it feels like now that I have a quite a big experience as a dancer and a performer I know what I'm asking to my dancers and performers now because sometimes it feels like choreographers forget how hard it is to be a performer and uh, well I feel like at least I I know or I knew (laughs) I like that OV OV yeah (laughs) Um, I'm actually wondering also, did you, did at any point while you were at OV, uh, (laughs) did you ever wonder or worry about how your signature, quote unquote, was going to be tainted by by the choreographer's own movement and her choreographic approach? 
See, that's uh, funny because I had an opposing question where I was going to say. How uh, much did it influence you? Well, that it, it obviously must influence you after 10 years. But at the same time, your style is so intense and complex and obviously it comes from other influences as well. And I was yeah. going to ask where the other yeah. influences were. Mm-hmm. So then, answer either question. Positive or negative. negative. <laughs> what will her answer be? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer the question by saying, did it influence me? Yes. How? In reaction so of course it influenced me because you can't be eight years or ten years witnessing how a choreographer works without you know like having it in, in your DNA somehow mm-hmm. but when I created my company I guess I did it in reaction to the things that were not satisfying for me or or that I thought were too easy for, for for me, and I'm not saying that dismeaning um, Jeanette at all. It's just, it's just that it, it it needed to be my thing, and my thing was in reaction to eight years of of, of vertigo. I get a sense, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I get a sense that your work is very often reactive as opposed to active. It, it always seems to be an answer to things that you see around some people are more like there is this that I want put forward but you it's more like I'm getting something out of society out of the world and here's my mm. answer mm. interesting because I feel like I'm asking questions you know when I create like the way that I create is to ask questions first to myself and second to my performers and collaborators because I don't want it to be too uh, moralisateur you mm-hmm. know so it feels like questions are more open but reactive, perhaps, because I like to think that uh, art leads us to action, reaction, and reflection in the best cases. This brings me around to the name of your company being May Day, being mm. kind of an SOS, uh, mm. a come help me mm-hmm. uh, symbol. And there's this beautiful quote on your site. It says, she does not condemn nor yield to a sterile defeatism, but simply highlights the darker corners of human condition. Mm. Hence the, the title of the company. And to give it context to um, to, to people who haven't seen your work. It's very um, surrealist, it's theatrical, it's very complex and intense, mm. for sure intense. So, I guess I like intensity. <laughs> and, and humorous, too. There's yeah, yeah, humor yeah. in your work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is really interesting. I think that there's definitely in, in Goodbye a playfulness. It was almost surprisingly playful when we created it because the, the topic was dark. But uh, I guess that we counterbalance with a little bit of humor. And May Day, well, for me, you know, like it's really hard to find a company title because you yes. know that you're going to live with it for, well, you hope you're going to live with it for a couple of years. <laughs> it's like choosing your name for your child, you know. <laughs> you, so you hope you hope that, you know, the company is going to grow uh, well scarred. with it. You know? They won't be scarred for life. Yeah. Um, and I'm quite happy with May Day because it feels like there's there's hope. For me, when I hear May Day, there's hope. There's the hope that when you shout out loud May Day, someone is going to hear you. So I guess that's what we do as artists. We shout out loud in the dark and we hope that someone, you know, in the audience will hear you. I feel like I do art because it's a it's a way of not feeling alone you know like uh, relating to other people to to realize that you're not alone to feel the things you feel or to think that the things you think so yeah and how do you approach the distress component of, of the name well I guess when I founded the company I was traveling a lot or had I had been traveling a lot and I had been witnessing a lot of distressing situation conditions and it was obvious to me that I needed to talk about it or at least acknowledge it so that we live in a world that is not easy and paradoxically it's uh, it's easy for us to forget because we are privileged but when we travel and live in other conditions well I guess that I just wanted to remember it was like for me a, a reminder for myself that life is uh, hard and beautiful. (laughs) 
Could you tell us a bit more about your travels? Because you've been, well, you go to Haiti pretty often, like pretty much every yeah. year, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. And you've been to Africa also to work. Could you tell, like, what could you tell us actually about those travels? Like, I guess at some point it was important for me to go to Haiti just to go to my own roots. And I uh, went to Africa for various reasons, personal reasons, and I, just because I was fascinated by the continent. And then same thing for South America. I was... I was fascinated by South just because it's so different. And then there is sun. <laughs> um, and I met all those artists who, who live and work in conditions that are so extreme. And they use art, either dance or theater or literature, really as a way to um, make things move in their society. So... I heard a lot of artists say things like, I don't have the privilege or the luxury to make a work that is just about movement in space because there is so much to tell, there is so much to say that I don't have this this luxury. So there, of course, like the, their art is really engaged politically, socially, and it just created an impact on me. So when I came back to Montreal after all these travels, I was like, so what am I going to do? Am I going to make a piece that is just about movement in space, which is also important and relevant, but I was so influenced by their choices and by the way that they were engaged in their work that it just influenced me and, and I wanted to, you know, to live up to this kind of expectation also. Yeah, so I guess that's how I was influenced. You know, like when we were talking about influences, Jeanette influenced me for sure, but those travels did influence me quite a lot because I always have this story of um, of a young uh, dancer who was 15 at the time, and, and for him it was really clear that the money that he had to uh, pay for his travel from home to the dance school was the money that he had to eat also. So it was like really clear that if he takes this money to, you know, to take a a bus, he he was not going to to eat. And it was like such a intense uh thing for me to witness that people actually have to make this choice in some countries to make art. It just like humbled me quite a lot. Do you ever feel I don't know, this is this is a very North American or maybe occidental perspective of The artist thinking, oh, uh, I don't have any great cause left mm -hmm. anymore. You know, like kind of those first world problems where, mm -hmm. oh, you know, it's hard for us because we don't have <laughs> anything big to talk about. Yeah. Do, you ever, do you ever get into that mode of thinking or do you feel that, no, even if you're in first world, quote unquote, again, that doesn't limit any of the subjects you can talk about? No, no, I don't. <laughs> uh, no, because I think that Westerners, uh, if we don't have like great cause to defend because we're not victims, we are quite guilty mm -hmm. of many different things that we have to talk about. First thing would be like to be egotistical, uh, to be self-centered, to not look at the world outside from our own perspective. The first piece I created in 2006 uh, with Mayday was Les Angles Morts which was the topic like how can how can i live in the world knowing the things i know and and seeing the things i see without without doing anything uh it was 2006 it was like the iraq war you know like there was like a lot going on mm -hmm. bush was in power oh my god we forget now about we've got it. harper in power now we have Isn't harper in power so you know like there's a lot of things to talk about at the same time sometimes i feel like Is dance the best medium to talk about these things? I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I try. Sometimes I, I fail. Um, I, I don't know. Like I know that uh, write about it is perhaps more efficient than to try to, you know, express it in your body <laughs> somehow. But I don't feel like I'm out of topics, interesting topics, as a Westerner. <laughs> I find it interesting that you say that dance might not be the way to talk about it, but. One of your strong philosophies, if I'm not mistaken, is that performing on stage is a fundamentally political act. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in a way, I feel that you do reconcile the two. Yeah, well, sense. 
Yeah, I, I say that often. I feel like, you know, choosing to be an artist, to go on stage and then to actually um, reenact the ritual of, you know, sweating your own life in front of people is, is a political act. Then there's the other aspect, like, would I be able in my dance to talk about Harper policies, this is another thing, you know, mm -hmm. like, and that's where I think I'm not sure if dance is the best medium to talk about it. But uh, for sure, I feel like our bodies are political, you know, and I feel like in just the way that I choose my collaborators, dancers, people, artists around me, it is a political act. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd like to take us back to what um, what was her name, the Sun News reporter. Oh yeah, with the her. whole Margie Gillis interview thing. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, there was this interview uh, done on Sun New on the Sun News Network, where the interviewer who was uh, discussing with Margie Gillis came at it from a very condescending. I'm I'm posing judgment there, but no, 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 and she was very much drilling Mrs. Gillis about how. The government kept giving her money, grant mm -hmm. money, mm -hmm. uh, which made her live, but didn't really bring anything to the society at according large. According to her. <laughs> yeah, according to mm -hmm. her again. And this is something that I feel is, in a way, she sounded like the mouthpiece of the Harper government. Mm -hmm. So kind of like what you're saying, that getting on stage is a political statement because it is so undervalued by mm -hmm. usually conservative conservative governments. Mm -hmm. Grand money is not easy to get now. Mm -hmm. It's it's become worse with the mm -hmm. Harper government. Mm -hmm. And I do feel that in a way, just the act of getting on stage and of expressing something that mm -hmm. might not be exactly what the government might want to be saying is in a way like what North Americans can do to just rise up against mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. without necessarily having to discuss your ideas in a clearer cut mm -hmm. way mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. writing? Mm -hmm. Well, for sure. I think that art is a way to um, make us more human, <laughs> to make us better human beings. So if we cut it out because we don't need it, then, you know, like, I want to see what kind of society we're going to live in. Um, because even in, in countries that I visited where art is not supported at all, it's really strong. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. You cannot escape art. Oh, my God, this sounds like it. <laughs> you cannot escape art. <laughs> this is very much Big Brother, very, like a positive version of Big Brother where art yeah. is your savior. Yeah. Kind of thing. Something I want to emphasize, uh, at least after watching Junkyard Paradise, is that a lot of these topics have a pull to be expressed in an aggressive way or in a, in a, in a very overt or angry or, or yeah, just an abrasive mm. way, uh, which is often done. Um, mm. But you you don't go there. Mm. And I, I appreciate that as an audience member. But also, I think it it has the ability to draw people in mm. more if you if you. You know, you mm -hmm. attract more flies with honey than vinegar. Mm -hmm. Does goodbye have the same philosophy? And is that a philosophy that you're consciously trying to uh, cultivate? It's not conscious. I think that I do the things I need to do. And if I would have to use violence or anger, I would use it. I don't have those parameters around me saying that I should do this or, or not. It's, I guess it's... It's how we work yeah it's how we work together so i like intensity mm -hmm. but i like to cut it with some sort of humor not to take ourselves too seriously also and i always make uh, you know the the parallel with troubadours where they had to you know like come to from villages to villages and entertain people in order to be able to tell their stories so we have to as artists i think that we have to be able to work like on those two levels i have to entertain people so that they can you know like be open to my saying or to my doings so if i'm just like trying to fill the audience with information it, it won't be interesting or same thing if i if i feel that i just want to you know, like entertain them without having no substance, it won't be interesting. So for me, like the best recipe, it's not a recipe, but you know, like the best way of doing things is to actually go, you know, and travel from between these two extremes. 
I feel that in your work, in the works of yours that I've seen anyway so far, <laughs> there is often a questioning of traditional notions of beauty, mm. of what's beautiful to see on stage. Mm. I mean, like uh, the the scene with Jacques Poulain-Denis in, in Junkyard Paradise, where he's throwing those tomatoes and himself smashing them against his body and mm. leaving these red marks all over. There is something very grotesque there, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's one of the most powerful moments mm -hmm. of the work. It's subversive also in a way, I feel, mm. because just of... just got goosebumps thinking about that. Yeah, <laughs> see, exactly. That's that's the kind of reaction that it creates in people who've mm. seen it and who mm. remind themselves of that. Mm. Uh, like, do, do you feel that this is an active choice to question traditional notions of beauty in art and on what's of what's on stage? Mm. Yeah, I guess it's because we work in a world that it's that aesthetic is so important especially dance because we're our bodies are formatted in a way and uh for myself I've, i felt i was always like outside of this gang because my body was different uh, i'm a black woman trying to make ballet it's always a little <laughs> uncomfortable <laughs> so i guess that this idea of challenging beauty comes from that And uh, in terms of also the cast, you know, like I like to present a cast that has like different cultures, languages, roots. And this is also a way of challenging, you know, the formatted bodies of dance. In the work, I never know what is beautiful and what is tacky and what is funny. You know, like I look at my work and sometimes I discover it with the audience, if it's funny or if it's touching and for goodbye for example we we had like a lot of different scenes where we thought it was touching and then people laughed at it so after the premiere we were like okay so we didn't know that it was funny so we don't necessarily have a critical view on the work we just create the things we create and then it's received the way it's received and then that's why it's so interesting to go on tour because people have different views, different cultures, and different ways of receiving the work. So what can be really funny here can be really um, provoking in another, you know, for another audience. For Goodbye, which you're um, premiering on Wednesday night until Friday night, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. it's a remounting of the work. You've yeah. presented it at DFT and you've presented it during Parcours Danse. Yeah. So it's, it's a work that you've revisited twice already mm -hmm. how has it evolved since mm. oh, it's so interesting to have uh, the opportunity to work again on a piece because when you create it at first you're such an uh, urgency just like to get it out <laughs> you know it's like uh, it's really like you know giving birth I don't know like I don't I never gave birth but it feels like it's <laughs> It's the same. Is it as painful though? It's I don't know. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't want to compare it to like because my admiration goes to all mothers who went through that. But it's it really feel it feels like it's giving birth. It's really painful. It's hard and it's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. But it's beautiful. But it's beautiful. It's it's really beautiful. But and when it's out, it's outside of you, so you have a better perspective on it so when you go back to it you can actually feel when things are not right so there are like a few scenes that poor baby being judged as yeah it's born. yeah so you're not right <laughs> let me change your arm <laughs> no <laughs> no but there are a few scenes that are just not you know just not on it and uh So it's it's easier to recognize those moments because when you're actually, you know, creating it, you don't know, like everything feels uncomfortable. So you don't know, you know, what is right and what is wrong. And then now that we have a better perspective, a distance, it's easier to to focus and then say, we're going to change this scene. And then oh, it's like it's almost like a relief. Why would why didn't we see that? Sometimes it's just like small details, you know, like really subtleties nothing but it it makes a difference and in the case of goodbye we changed quite a few things and it feels like uh, the end is a new piece towards the end there's a there's a new a new scene and it feels like uh, 
better, I hope. So I, I look forward to showing it to people who saw it the first time and then can appreciate it the second time. Actually, that, that new scene that you're mentioning right now, I find it interesting because from what I've read, having not seen Goodbye yet, it seems to be a very cyclical work. It's about saying goodbye, saying hello. Mm-hmm. Was this intentional in sort of keeping that cycle going and adding some new material? It just feels like goodbye was created in this cycle idea. And I like to think that, you know, like every cycle makes you see the piece in a different way. Therefore, the structure is really um, can be a little um, constrictive. And when you make a change in one of the cycle, it means that you have to make small changes in every other cycle. So it's almost like a domino effect. So whenever I wanted to make a change, it felt like it wasn't going to be so so big that I was like almost like discouraged. Oh, I can't change that because I'm going to have to change like this and, you know, like all the other cycles. But um, I took it the other way around and then I changed the end. And then it felt like um, things came, felt better. Uh, in a way, it's it's hard to talk about it in uh, concrete words, but um, the structure of the piece almost is in um, reaction to the topic. This idea that saying goodbye is hard, that reinventing yourself after a separation or a death or mourning is difficult, but we have to. So this idea that things are always, you know, turning around and changing and evolving uh, is actually the structure of the piece. In terms of the aesthetic content of the work, would you say that it's similar to what I have to anchor myself to being Junkyard Paradise or or previous works of yours? It's really different. It's much more um, épuré. Minimalist, just makes yeah. sense. Yeah, uh, where Junkyard had a lot of costumes and props and, you know, it was full and it was going in all directions uh, goodbye has uh, something that is more minimalistic and um, the aesthetic is uh, more simple and it's I have to use the word beautiful there's something beautiful about it the the floor is just st- stunning in my <laughs> it's that, that sort of uh, checkers kind yeah, of floor, yeah. Right? black and white checker and uh, Alexandre Pilongue who's working on the light just made it amazing at some at some point i look at it and i'm like oh my god i never thought i you know like could create something that is that beautiful <laughs> and in a way it's not just beautiful because it's beautiful it just responds to the piece because it, it creates this kind of checkboard where we are playing with playing our lives and it features Brianna Lombardo and Jacques Poulin Denis, who were both in Junkyard Paradise. Yeah. And also Chi Long, who yeah. is, is, is she new to your creative process? Yeah, but she's an old friend because we worked together at Overtigo. When I first joined the company, she was already there. So we know each other for quite a long time, but she was new in the work. And it was interesting to, um, to welcome her because even, even if she has like this amazing career as a dancer with Overtigo with Marie Chouinard, it was, uh, some sort of a new way for, for us to, to be together and to understand. Mm-hmm. I had to understand how to, uh, direct her and, uh, she had to understand how to take the space because I, I give quite a bit of, space in in the work so you have to be really creative to fill in the blanks Hmm. Um, the checker aspect of the the scenography I find that really interesting because there is a huge contrast there and in a way it divides the world in this binary kind of Mm -hmm, way mm -hmm. whereas I feel that your own view of the world is much more grey nuanced 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 is a much better word than grey thank you (laughs) I feel that was this intentional at all this splitting the world in two opposing halves Mm. to be really honest how how the scenography uh, came up was that uh, Alexandre Pilongue which I work with uh, the lights as I mentioned earlier I wanted to challenge me uh, because it was like, okay, your world, Melanie, is really dark. You, I always work in black boxes, you know, like it's my neutral is black. <laughs> and it was like, why, why don't we imagine goodbye being on a white floor, white, you know, like 
white universe and I was like oh my god it's too hard it's too hard you know like and then we had a, a residency at Paris Chouinard where everything is white and I felt like I couldn't create it was too um uh too f- I, sterile yeah <laughs> yeah I felt like I was almost like in a hospital or something <laughs> and it was really hard and then the idea of mixing black and white came in and then uh Alexandre came uh came in one day and then I had the same idea it was like why don't we you know mix white uh, black and white and it felt like it was just a good idea because we had it like from opposite sides the, on the same day and then when we made the first um, trials it was so um, amazing because it created something in the space where we have as uh, performers we have to choose where we are in a space in a really uh, specific way we just can't be on the floor like wandering around we have to be really clear about where we put ourselves in the space and then it create something that I wasn't aware of, that my work is really precise. It feels like it's really open and chaotic, but if you ask my dancers, they're, <laughs> they're going to tell you that I work like, uh, you know, millimeters. So, yeah, it just revealed how precise the work is. That's interesting because, you know, you, you mention your dancers quite often when we discuss with you. And from knowing a bit about your creative process, the, the impact of those dancers on what you're creating, on your creative process is huge. And you've described your dancers, your company as your family to some extent. Mm. Could you tell us a bit about how like, how it works in real life? Like, how is this happening exactly? You know, as I was uh, mentioning earlier, it feels like the dancers I work with are people that I fell in love with uh, artistically and also on a human level. They're my friends and I do admire them as artists and human beings. So I have like total confidence in what they think, what they see, what they do. So I like to create a, a platform where they are comfortable of saying this doesn't feel right or this is not comfortable or it's a little tacky should we do this should we do that and they challenge me quite a lot and it happens often that we are like in the middle of a discussion and and I have to you know like because I'm supposed to be the leader and the boss and the choreographer so I have to come up with a decision and then I'm like but please can we can we try my idea I really have sometimes I really have to ask them can we try my idea first and if it doesn't work then you'll we'll go with your ideas because they're like so involved and then I like I like the moment where they're so involved that they're they're not going to agree with me and this is really important because they work for the work and they don't work for me So it feels like when we come to this point, we're in the right zone because they don't want to please me. They, they want to, you know, make the work happen in the best possible way. Speaking of your collaborators, there's one in particular that's been with you for a long time, Jacques-Pauline Denis, mm-hmm. uh, since at least Les Angles... Les Angles Morts. Les Angles Morts, <laughs> uh, where he did the music and he performed with you. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain that relationship to us, perhaps? Can you explain that? We're not a couple. We're not a couple. Jacques, I'm sorry to reveal we're not a couple. <laughs> I guess my, my, my question is... dreams were, are shattered. I know, I know. I guess, yeah, what, what makes you work so well together? And what drew each other to one another? Um, it's really one of those uh, meetings that are really important in a career. And um, what makes us work together, I don't know. Like, it's really, you know, like two souls meeting, I would say. It's, it's really like some sort of a soulmate in an artistic way. Oftentimes he would look at me and, you know, like, and then we don't have to talk because we think this, the same thing. And he's like, oh, can I think alone? Let me think alone. It, it's, it's as if you're in my head all the time or I'm in your head all the time. It, we have like this complicity where uh, things are really easy. And um, how I met Jacques is really interesting because I was... Um, Uh, working for Eshindo, which was a collective dance uh, dance collective at a time, and then they wanted to uh, to have um, different performers, and then we were we were looking for male performers, and uh, 
I don't know, like we hadn't found like the right person. And then one of the one of the girl told me, well, I know this guy, Jacques, who's just coming back from the States, from San Francisco. And he's a great guy. He's interesting performer and a, a composer you might want to work with him and I was like yeah sure but, and she says but the only thing is that he doesn't have a right foot I was like what do you mean he doesn't have a right foot and she explained the, the story that Jack had lost his foot but has like you know um, studied to be a dancer anyway so I was like okay so he's hired and I hadn't met him and I just just by the story I wanted to meet this person who had such an interesting and amazing destiny. So first time I saw him was in the studio and then we started to create and, you know, we were meant for each other <laughs> in a way. <laughs> Fantastic. He's magnetic on stage. I know. He's good. <laughs> and he's also really interesting to have in process because he's really, really um, quick, uh, really intelligent and generous. Do you ever feel that as as your career develops, as you become more and more known, as you perform your work uh, around the world, do you feel that this process of having people who are always willing to stand up to you in a way keeps your ego in check so that you, you manage to focus on the work and not on this is my career that I'm developing? Mm. Ego in check is really interesting. I think that as I grow, I feel that I'm more and more fragile. I don't mm -hmm. feel that I'm more and more confident and in control. It feels like things are harder as I grow. So for my ego, I don't... Um, don't <laughs> I worry got about you. that. Right? I don't worry about it too much. Um, the idea that I will find new collaborators who will be able to stand in front of me... Make their visions known. Yeah, I don't know. I hope so. And that's that's why I think it's important that I also uh, keep the family really tight, but open it to new collaborators and people. But uh, it's interesting that uh, the ego of the creator is, um, like for me, is more fragile than ever. <laughs> I like that question. I picked out a quote from a review of Junkyard Paradise that was written in Le Devoir, and the end of the quote is, Demers is becoming a great choreographer, well done. Hmm. Kind of pointing out a progression, but not a finality, not an end point. Mm -hmm. I guess that wasn't This really was also <laughs> written by Catherine Allon. Yeah. That, actually, that's, that's a pretty nice comment. Yeah, it's pretty nice. But I feel like you're, never, you're always as good as your last piece. Like even if, you know, some pieces were uh, well received, uh, other pieces that I might create or that I created were less uh, well received. And, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. You know, I just can do like the best I can do today uh, with uh, passion and commitment and integrity. So that's my relationship with critics. I can only do the things that I do and you can... Yeah, and you can write about it. <laughs> Liz begs the question, what's next? What's next? Um, well, today, or uh, what's next in the next few years? Lunch. <laughs> Lunch, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going on tour with uh, Goodbye after in New York for two performances. And then after that, I go to, uh, to Europe to work with a German choreographer. So that's about it for my spring. And what's next is always a good question. I always um, have a little bit of um, pudeur uh, to answer this question because it feels like um, when you talk about a project, you stop fantasizing on it because mm -hmm. it becomes real, it becomes concrete. And then sometimes I prefer to keep it to myself, but I will definitely work at Usensee next year uh, on some sort of a happening performance okay. something i just want to make sure that there is more coming there's more coming but the <laughs> there's idea of, there's there's always more coming but the idea of stopping is always there too hmm. you know like i'm not what makes you say that what what voice is that <laughs> let's take a break the artistic well, voice and, yeah well yeah the idea that you have to come up with something new mm -hmm. um sometimes i want i just want to escape that you know like uh i could stop and it could could be possible to, <laughs> you know. 
Did I just say that in radio? On radio, <laughs> <laughs> I can take just, it out. Yeah, I can cut it out. No, 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 <laughs> no. It's it's just because that I, I feel like as artists we have to you know entertain people, and then there's more coming, and there's always like another big project coming. Yes, there is, but there's also like the moment where you have to go for a little bit of sabbatical. Yeah, or you know, time to withdraw, to yeah. to think, to to. Uh, and to celebrate the work that you've done. Yeah, 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 yeah. But just because uh, after the FDR premiere, you know, like the producers would come to me and say, what's next? And I'm like, what's next is just this, <laughs> you know, because, uh, yeah, it feels like we're always going for the new thing. And I want to bask a little bit in the light of goodbye. <laughs> um, actually, I'd like to hear a bit more about this German choreographer you'll be working with. How did that, that come about exactly? It's um, a collaboration that uh, was triggered by one of my um, trip to Europe. I was in, invited in a residency to share like a week of um, talking and dancing with 15 other choreographers from everywhere around the world. And uh, Katia Vakter was one of those choreographers. And then we met and then we had this, you know, instinct that it would be interesting to work together, although we were... We are very, very different. She's really, really um, structured, and uh, and I'm much more instinctive. But it's interesting to put our two ways of working together. Uh, so, yeah, at the end of the residency, we say, oh, we should do something together, as we say often, you know, to people. But she jumped on the occasion, and then she invited me. And then so we, have, we had two weeks uh, of work in Italy in November, and then now we meet again in Munich and then we're going to present something at the end of the two weeks so it's after four weeks of work we'll have to come up with a show which is very risky risky mm -hmm. business <laughs> I'm always curious actually with when I discuss with choreographers who take your leader bus that that have gotten <laughs> to produce a bit of work do, do you have any things like just fantasies, just things that are on your wish list that you really wish you had access to or that you really wish you could do but haven't gotten around to or are afraid that you won't ever get to do? Do you have one of those things that you're just like clawing at to try to get to? Mm, I have this idea that I really would like to work with a lot of people, but when I say a lot of people, it's not 20 people, it's like... A few hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then Sylvain did it and I'm like, damn. <laughs> and I also have like uh, fantasies of working with, you know, like specific artists like uh, that I really, really admire. I, I love uh, Romeo Castellucci. I love the company Forced Entertainment. So there are like people that I would like to meet at some point in my in my career. But I'm not afraid that it won't happen. If it happens, it will. I'm trying to be wise here. <laughs> so you have uh, original music that's been composed by Jean-Sebastien Côté. Yeah. Could you tell us a bit about the music? Uh, we'll be hearing a short section of it soon. Uh, Jean-Sebastien uh, worked with us from afar because I was used to work with Jacques Poulain-Denis as the composer and he was like obviously in rehearsals all the time uh, and then when we started the, the process of goodbye I asked Jacques are you, you know, like, are you willing to create the music or should I ask someone else? Because it's quite a bit of work to have, like, double task. And he was like, I think I really would like to be, you know, a dancer. So <clears throat> Jean-Sébastien is a friend and he worked with uh, Wajdi Mouad. He worked with uh, Robert Lepage. So he agreed uh, doing the music, creating the music. But he was far. So it was a, a different... Um, process for me like I would send him you know like music that I was using in rehearsal and then he would almost like recreate the ambiance and one of our main inspiration was David Lynch not only in the visual aspect but in the musical aspect also something that is like heavy heavy guitars so we have this uh, kind of uh, riff with Jean Sebastien's music are you aware of um Dorian work. No, I don't. I know uh, her, but I, I know of her, but One I don't. Of, uh, the piece she presented at Tangent, when was it? Was last year, I think, or the year before, which was called Everything Was Beautiful and, and Nothing, nothing hurts. hurts. 
Yes. It's a beautiful title. It's a gorgeous <laughs> title. I don't remember what it's taken from. It's taken from a book or a poem. I don't remember. It's a gorgeous title. I agree with you. <laughs> and her main, one of her main inspirations was David, David Lynch. Lynch. Mm. And it's it's a very interesting work. If she presents it again soon, I, I'll go. Like mm-hmm. a little shout out to Dorian <laughs> Um David Lynch, though, as a creator, is someone who has developed such a powerful signature. I feel that there is something really inspiring about that because you do have this consistency mm-hmm. in what he creates mm-hmm. and in like his approach. Uh, do, do you feel that it's something that, in a way, you've been exploring for yourself, like finding that sort of visual and like thematic signature? Mm-hmm. What I like about David Lynch is that he has like his internal logic. Mm-hmm. And then when you get drawn into a work, not everything is explainable, but everything makes sense mm-hmm. in a way because he's catching the big fish. You know, like he's he's really like diving really deeply into our unconsciousness and uh, has a really, I guess, personal approach. And also, I do admire that he works in Hollywood, one of the most formatted milieu in the world, and he's able to do this kind of work. So he must be like a very special soul. <laughs> he must be persuasive. Yeah, yeah. To be able to, um, you know, create this world in inside of Hollywood. I feel that what you were saying about establishing its own logic in the work is something that applies that applies especially to choreographers because it's not something that is as linear as mm-hmm. some other forms of work. Mm-hmm. It's not as narrative either. Mm-hmm. And the, the greatest works quite often are the ones that have established that logic and mm-hmm. that makes sense even though you don't understand anything, mm-hmm. but you mm-hmm. just get it in mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the internal logic. And then I, I like to think of a work that at first, you know, you... Uh, you create your own conventions because mm-hmm. everything is possible. And in the first two, three, four minutes, you can do anything you want. And then after these two, four, five minutes, then there's something that is proposed. And then you have to, you have to continue in the sense of those conventions that are uh, set by you. And then at first, you feel like you are in control of the piece. You are doing the, you are making the decisions, and then as the process goes on, you feel like the piece is taking decisions for you. And this is the moment that I like best when, when actually the piece makes you do things that you wouldn't do yourself. And then one of my example, like best example, is that I don't really like pieces with entrances and exits. It's like not my favorite thing in 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 a dance work. But for goodbye, for some reasons. We had to make entrances and exits. You know, like there were moments where we had to have like only one performer on stage. And I was like, how am I going to do that? You know, like I had to, I, I actually had to do something that the work wanted me to do, but I didn't want to. <laughs> so it was interesting. Have you ever seen Amy Anderson's The Most Together We've Ever Been? I, I haven't seen it, but I okay. know that the, the whole piece is about entrances yeah. and exits. And yeah. that's the thing, like <laughs> entrances and exits in a way, like there are some choreographers who use them constantly, like Marie Schnarr. You yeah. know, works with tableaus, so you always get those. Yeah. But sometimes when you manage to to create their own internal logic, I feel, yeah. as you were saying, it can be a very powerful uh, sight. Yeah. To see it. it can really like just bring something back to life also. Yeah, in it's an ways. interesting tool, but mm-hmm. somehow I... I didn't know how to work with it, and uh, and it's something that I do. I did quite a lot in Overtigo, you know, because it's a group piece, and then sometimes you just entrance, you just en- enter and exit, and then you don't really justify it. It's just like how it goes, and then for goodbye, I was like, but why would you? Why would you leave the space? You know, like I had to have like my my justifications and and answers, and why would you enter at this point? Why? Would, so we had to create a, a work where it was possible to to enter and exit, and it was interesting because it was something new, something that I had never done. Oh my goodness, Melanie Demers, it's been so amazing speaking with you today. Thank you. We are totally out of time. Uh, but you should catch Goodbye this March the 20th, 21st, and 22nd at 8 p.m. at Usine C here in Montreal. Yes. 
and uh, keep an ear out. You also have uh, MaydayDance.ca, the company website where you have all of your uh, all your past works, uh, description of them up there, and uh, and I'm assuming dates for upcoming projects as well. Hopefully, great, great. So keep an eye and ear out for Melanie Demers, everybody. Sure. Thank you very <laughs> Thank much. You. Thank you. <laughs> Just a little heads up for our listeners. Next week we will be receiving this uh, little unknown choreographer called Margie Gillis. Uh, what? I heard that she's been choreographing in Canada for a few years now. So, of course, we're really psyched to give her her big break. And um, also with us will be Luc Fleury for Bijico, which is the Biennale de Gigue Contemporaine. of where we've arrived in the peace. Our research has led us to this kind of hypothesis about life and love and death and all that. So if there's something that you want to add, maybe... Dirty Feet is recorded every week at the Montreal Improv Theatre. Check them out at montrealimprov.com. Dirty Feet is produced and hosted by... Alison Burns. J.D. Papillon. Joanie Ferrand. And distributed by No More Radio. You can find more about our show at nomoradio.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet. And you can find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. Tune in next week for a whole new show. Do you want to... Dance on it, dance on it.